I was reading Titus during the week, and uh, it is interesting how when you read Scripture on different occasions, different aspects come out. And uh, reading there, Titus, just verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. An amazing thought that God cannot lie. And we read his word this morning, and it's not fairy tales, it's truth, it's power, it's life. But had in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And it just uh, going to stood out to me the importance of preaching. And, um, you know, for Paul, for any of us here who, who have the privilege of standing before the pulpit, to be able to preach the Word of God, because that's the means by which we reach people with the gospel, whether it's preaching here on a Sunday morning, whether it's witnessing on the street corner, or, or talking to somebody over a cup of coffee in work. So we thank the Lord. We thank the Lord that um, He's given us this gospel, this wonderful news to preach and to share. Now, the last time I spoke, which was a few months back, I spoke on the um, theme of just a closer walk with thee, and that was just to start off the, the new year. And uh, this morning, I want to return to the Beatitudes because um, it's something I started to do back in January 2021, a long time ago now. And uh, we covered the first six, and probably everybody's forgotten by now. But I want to look at uh, Beatitude 7 this morning and uh, go into it a little bit of detail. Blessed are the peacemakers. And of course, there's something special about the number seven in Scripture. It is a number of completion. And uh, this particular um, beatitude, it uh, comes at the list of six amazing other beatitudes. So it's in an important position. It's in the position of perfection. And uh, I think the Lord has put in there for a reason. And, um, you know, because the amount of time has passed, I think, too, I should recap again very quickly on what we covered in those first six. And, uh, you know, last week we heard the word paradox used by Pastor Gary. And it is a true thing to say that the, the Beatitudes are paradoxical. And that is that they, they don't really make sense when on face value, you know, that... that um, there's blessing in suffering, or there's blessing in mourning, and all those different um, beatitudes that are that are spoken of. But um, despite the fact that they're seemingly absurd or self-contradictory, they are most powerful, and they are quite amazing. And we said that it was the Holy Spirit working through us that enabled us to form and display these beatitudes. And you know, when you examine these beatitudes, you find Again, the emphasis is not on your own personal talents or abilities. It's, um, it's who you are on the inside. It's who you really are before the Lord. And I think I used the, I borrowed from somebody the, uh, the thought that they're, um, they're not the do attitudes, they're the be attitudes. There's something that comes out of our being. So we said that our Christian walk, it begins with poverty of spirit. And uh, that meant that we were broken and humble before the Lord. 
and that we realized that we had absolutely nothing that we could bring and that we were totally reliant on the grace of God and that, you know, we could do nothing to earn our salvation. That it's all been done for us. And that's a hard thing for people to accept that, really, because um, pride, pride is a, it's a root sin. It's a sin that leads to many other sins. And the pride of man doesn't like to be told that he can't fix his own issues. So, um, you know, this pride, it has to go. We learned that true repentance also had to include genuine mourning, a mourning about our sin, how that sin is an offense to a, a holy and a righteous God. And, uh, you know, we realize the magnitude of that offense. You know, it, um, it should make us mourn. And, uh, you know, we know that even as, as born-again believers, we still can fall and we can sin and we can err. And, uh, you know, if our relationship is tender with the Lord, we will mourn over those things. We will feel convicted. We'll feel terrible that we've let him down. And we'll turn to him. And he's gracious and merciful. And he'll forgive us. So we, um, we have to have that biblical view of God. And uh, we learn that repentance and salvation, they're not separable items. You know, there's no action or human response that takes away from the fact that Jesus, he's done everything on the cross. And he alone overcame sin and death. And only because of that and because of what we just spoken about over the table of the Lord. You know, we're beneficiaries of that. And we praise God for that. We learned about the meek Christian. And we learned that he's an individual who's been broken before God. It was the evidence of being tamed by God. And, you know, it's, it's an understanding and a realization of what we really are. It's not us trying to portray, you know, that we're more than what we are or different. It's our realization of who we really are and more so who others really are in the sight of God. You know, the once violent brawler can now be the peaceful one, the one who sees the imagio dei or the image of God in each individual, even in his enemies. And, um, you know, the one who uses tongue for sharpness or for foul-mouthedness can now praise the Lord with his tongue. It's the meekness of God. We spoke about the hungry Christian, and we, we pointed out there that most people believe they are basically good, and you just have to talk to people on the street to, to realize that. There's nothing new about self-righteousness. You know, we live in an age where people want to portray their righteousness or portray their, their um, self-righteousness and their good works and on Facebook and various forms of media, media and telling everybody what they're doing and how good they are instead of keeping those things to themselves. So, so we're, in, we're, we're in that time and, and nothing has really changed. You know, we just have to look at the Pharisees to see the extreme lengths they went to, to demonstrate their, their self-righteousness righteousness in front of the, those who are around and about them. Biblical righteousness, however, we learned is doing what's right in the sight of God. And um, it's a, it's a, this righteousness, it's an attribute that no man can achieve in his own efforts. You know, it's, um, it's something that God has to do. And uh, we learned also that in spiritual terms, a hunger and thirst for righteousness of the things of God, they were the signs of a real and a maturing believer. So these things should become more evident in us as we grow in the Lord and as we progress in our walk with Him. You know, I, I think back in the time, you know, I used, to, I used to love to watch the news. I'd watch the news several times a day. 
and try catch up what's going on, but I don't anymore because I realize that it's just bankrupt. The world system is bankrupt and I'm just feeding myself with garbage and junk and I'm better off just uh, looking at the things of the Lord. If I want to find out the news, I'm better off to look at this because this tells me exactly what's happened, what's happening now, what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to, um, to fill that void, as it were, that was filled previously with the things of the world, to fill it with his righteousness and his good food. You know, the opinions of men, they mean less and less, and the word of God means more. We spoke about the merciful Christian, and, uh, you know, we, we can reflect on that. But for the mercy and grace of God, which was extended to us while we were yet sinners, we'd be all lost this morning and we'd be all destined for hell. And uh, that's a reality. Good thing to stop and reflect on that every now and again because we tend to, to forget about it. That's what we've been saved out of. And because God has shown his great mercy towards us, we in turn, we have to be willing to extend that same mercy to others. You know, Jesus, he taught us clearly in the, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servants, which we went through, you know, that... Um, we need to forgive also. And uh, we need to become less critical of others. We need to understand the predicament of others. And we need to see that it's sin that binds people and um, you know, causes them to manifest as they are. And not hate the person, but hate the one who's behind the, the sin and to, you know, to try and um, rescue that person. We spoke about the pure in heart. That was the, the last time. And we know that we to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it, the Bible says, flows the issues of life. And, you know, we understand that the heart is deceptive, and it's capable, you know, of leading us down the most unimaginable evil road possible. You know, we have to constantly watch what's going on in our hearts. You know, the world says, follow your heart. Be very, very careful if you follow your heart. We've got to check what's in our heart. You know, I was talking to um, Gemma's sister yesterday and who was here last Sunday and has now gone to Perth and she, she said something that was very true. She said that all our actions and deeds, they start with a thought. You know, if we can master our thoughts and take our thoughts captive, you know, we go a long way towards maintaining a pure heart. And that's a challenge for me and a challenge for all of us. You know, we learned that the Beatitudes, they're the diametric opposite of what the world values. You know, this world puts value in, in the seeking of pleasure, materialism, self-assertion, toughness, all those things. Jesus teaches a different way. And, um, you know, we want to look at that this morning. We learned that the Beatitudes, they show the order of development or the maturity of a true Christian. So today we've covered blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, and today the, uh, the ultimate one, number seven, blessed are the peacemakers. And um, I want to read again Matthew chapter five. It's a wonderful... Um, few chapters of scripture that follows from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We have these oldest read writing, the words of Jesus, and uh, this Beatitudes, this list of Beatitudes, as I said before, leads into perhaps the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. And reading there it says, and seeing the multitudes, 
he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And, um, you know, we see all these Beatitudes, and we ask the question, and we'll cover it the next time we get a chance, what's the world's answer to all those? Well, it's persecution, it's ridicule, it's reviling, and um, that's the reality, because uh, we'll stand out with these Beatitudes, and it'll cause offense. So, um, we've just read through the Beatitudes again, and perhaps it's just worth just jumping back to verse 2 there, where it says that Jesus, uh, sorry, verse 1, that he went up into a mountain. And we can reflect on another individual who went up into a mountain, and that was Moses. And twice he went up to receive the tablets. But Jesus here goes up into a mountain and has to receive something even more precious. It's what we have is the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It must have been a wonderful occasion to, to be present. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Uh, just by way of introduction, if you stand back and look at the, those Beatitudes, you'll see there's a, there's a shift and there's a, a, a progress through them. You see that the first four of those Beatitudes, they concern internal good and necessary changes, and they're within the heart of the believer. And you know the first three of them particularly, they, they talk about the emptiness of the heart and they're expressed in the fourth by the hunger or by the, f we want the filling of righteousness in that, that void in the heart. We want righteousness to fill that space previously occupied by sin and by self. Then we see that having that godly righteousness, it's going to manifest itself and it'll outwork in mercy, in purity of heart, which we've covered, and in peacemaking. And, um, you know, the world has a lot to say about peace. So is the Bible. There's a huge amount in the, in this, in the, uh, the scriptures on the topic of peace. And I had to sort of whittle it down and, and pick out a few what I thought were relevant scriptures on, on the topic. Last week, um, Pastor Gary, he touched on what he said was a controversial scripture, and that was Hebrews 12, 14. And in there it says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And because he was preaching a series on holiness, obviously he was talking about the word holiness. But it's interesting that that verse does start with the word follow peace, peace with all men. And the majority of time that's not sort of given much uh, attention or, or spoken of. But God must think it's important because he's put it at the beginning of the verse. And, you know, Pastor Gary spoke about positional holiness, 
and practical holiness. And in the same sense, I think there's also a positional righteousness and a practical righteousness. You know, that um, the positional being going that way where we're in right standing with God and then the practical and how we outwork um, internally and then with those in the world, with brothers and sisters and just in life in general. And, uh, you know, we all bear in mind this morning that, you know, once we were enemies of God, there was enmity between us and God. And without the, what I call the cessation of hostilities or the, uh, that war, you know, we would be destined for hell this morning. You know, in John 3.16 it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and we all know that verse, and it's wonderful. His love is immense. But so will be his judgment for those who remain his enemies, who refuse to accept this wonderful gospel and to, um, to submit to him. And that's the two sides of the coin, isn't it? That's the, the, the mercy and the grace that are held in tension and then the judgment. So what can we say? That before we can be practical peacemakers ourselves, we must be at peace with God and also peace within ourselves. Now the church is the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's a mystery. And we just mentioned very briefly, we're talking on Friday night about that. And so many more things. It's precious in the sight of the Lord. And of all places, his church peace should reign. So we want to now take a closer look at the, this beatitude. And I put a question here. Is or was there ever peace in this world? You know, there are many scriptures that show God is a God of perfect peace. You know, we consider the triune God and the Trinity. We see perfect peace, perfect harmony, and perfect alignment between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And we go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. I chose this scripture. It says there, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Again, seven, the number of perfection. And um, this to me is a picture of the, the world when it was at peace. That's a calm before the storm because, of course, we go on further in Genesis chapter 3 and we see the actions of Adam and Eve which broke that peace between God and man. Then we go into Genesis 4 and we see that Cain murdered his brother Abel and violence and bloodshed had rapidly increased in the earth. And finally, when we get as far as Genesis 6, we see the whole world is full of violence and wickedness before God. And God has to intervene and judge the world, and he does so through the great flood. You know, is the world different nowadays? We could ask. And Jesus tells us clearly in the scriptures when he speaks that the world will once again be as it was in the days of Noah. And in the Olivet Discourse, he describes the signs of the times, and those signs I believe we're seeing now around and about us. You know, the world, as we see it, if we're honest, is ripe for judgment. And that judgment will come. The Lord will, will come. 
His word is perfect and he cannot deny himself. So although we're not looking at it today, what does the world think of the new creation? Now, so we consider the above and we think of the fact that we're salt and light in the earth. Is it an important thing that we be peacemakers? And I think the answer is yes. If you look around us, we see this world, it's more divided than ever. You know, there's a plague now of, of, of Marxist ideology. That ideology convinces people that there is the oppressed, and because there's the oppressed, there must be an oppressor. Of course, it's the wrong oppressor they're talking about. The oppressor is Satan. But people readily take on the role of victim. And they become consumed in their own victimhood. Now, we look around, we see the communities. It's just full of hatred, envy, violence, and strife. This is the world today. You just have to look at what's happening in this land through this week. If you need any convincing. People hate each other because of their religion, their race, their politics. They envy people because of their wealth, what they possess, and it goes on. And uh, there's no longer trust for politicians. There's no longer trust for the educational system. I don't believe there's trust for the medical profession, the police, and it goes on. There's ever-increasing strife in marriages and families. You know, we're reaping the results of what we've sown. There's many who think that war and a financial collapse is unavoidable. You know, for the world, it's a bleak picture. And it doesn't hold well for the future. And I often wonder, you know, when you're talking to people or you get an opportunity to talk to people about the Lord, how they can be sane in this world without Jesus and seeing what's going on all around them. It does amaze me. I don't know how you can. I don't know how you can be really happy, you know, with what's happening in the world, how, how much is deteriorated, unless you have an answer for what's going on. Of course, we have the answer this morning. You know, when I grew up in Ireland, there was an intense hatred between both sides in the conflict there that went on for over 30, in fact, it's been going on for well, hundreds of years, but this conflict went on for 30 years. You know, I shared when I was in Limerick City last November, I got a chance to share, and I, I mentioned that there was a time when I couldn't speak to a person like pa Pastor Keith Mackinson because I would have seen him as the opposition. Now, before I was saved, you know, if I knew somebody served in the British Army, and I think of Par um, Mark Mullins, you might remember, who ministered to this church in the past, also being ex-British Army, that would be a big stumbling block for me to, to, to overcome. And, um, you know, there are many conflicts and issues in this world, and uh, many that bring similar divisions to mine, and those divisions that could go on for generations. But I thank God this morning that unity in Jesus Christ can overcome such divisions. You know, I'm amazed that I can talk to people now that I never would have spoken in the past. I'm amazed I can have communion with and, and, and uh, speak with people that uh, would have been way out of my, my sort of uh, sphere and zone before I was saved. That's the power of the peace of God. Another question, can the efforts of man bring healing and reconciliation? Well, to a degree, yes, and temporarily, 
but it's never going to be enduring peace until the Prince of Peace rules and reigns on this earth when that millennium comes. So to go back to that first question I asked, is it important that we be peacemakers? Most certainly. And how do we do it? So do we do it by joining our preferred political party or by joining community organizations or supporting various charities and various causes? You know, the root cause of the world's problems and, um, you know, a life goes on when people realize this, it's man's sin and it's rebellion, his rebellion against his maker, God. So human attempts to bring peace, they have some merit. But the best peace to bring is peace between man and God. And I wrote down here the words of Isaiah 52, verse 7, where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bring you good tidings, that publish it peace, that bring you good tidings of good, that publish it salvation, that say it unto Zion, thy God reigneth. So this world, it needs the gospel more than ever. And there's no other way for man to be saved from sin. There's no other way for peace to be established in this world than through the gospel. And... Um, through what Jesus is going to do. So first of all, we must have peace with God. And I wrote down here Romans 5, chapter 1. All these scriptures we know well, I think. So Romans 5, chapter 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very important piece. It's very important not to be an enemy of God. And we cannot be peacemakers until we have this peace reigning in us as a result. You know, it's, 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 it's a result of being no longer, I guess, estranged or, or separated from God, this peace. You know, before I was saved, I sinned in ways that I'm ashamed of. And uh, I thank God for the uh, forgiveness of sin. But uh, unfortunately, in this life, the memory of some of the things we've done is not removed from us. And I think back to the things I've done. And uh, if I'm truthful, I knew what I was doing was wrong because God has given us a conscience and a knowledge um, of his moral law. And the weight of sin, and I'm speaking from a personal point of view here, it played on my conscience. And there's no peace when we live like that. And it's true the scripture in Isaiah that says, there's no peace, there's no rest for the wicked. It's a very, very true scripture. You know, the separation that exists between an unsaved man and God, that works in many, many different ways. And, you know, it can be aggression, you know, when the things of the Lord are mentioned, or aggression when somebody witnesses, witnesses to him, you know, with the, with the gospel. It can be a, a deliberate, you know, avoidance of spiritual conversations. It can be an aloofness. It can even be a ridicule or it could be persecution or physical assault. There's a lot of different ways it can work out in an individual. But when we're born again, our sins are forgiven and that separation is gone. I like that uh, gospel tract that shows the, the God on one side and us on the other and then the cross bridging the gap. That's the gap that's bridged by the cross. You know, we experience joy and peace. I experience joy and peace because I realized, realized that my sins were forgiven. And I can still remember that that's the, the, um, 
best remembrance, the best thought I have is of the, the release from the weight of guilt of the sin that I committed that was lifted off me you know, when I knew I was forgiven. You know, it's interesting when we look at many of the epistles that Apostle Paul, he opens with the words, grace and peace be unto you. And grace truly is amazing as the song goes. When we realize that we've been forgiven, not on the basis of any of our own efforts or good works, but solely on the unmerited favor of God, a weight is lifted off us, and as a result, we have peace. And conversely, we can, we can say the converse, that we try to please God based on our own efforts and performance, and not as grace, we're never going to be sure if we meet the grade, and we'll not have that peace. You know, we're honest this morning, from time to time, we all succumb and fall into that trap. You know, it's a, a wonderful scripture also in Romans chapter 5, where he talks about reconciliation before we even made the first move. It says there, Romans 5 verse 8, but God commanded his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's the grace that results in peace. Another aspect of peace is to make peace within. You know, our house should be in order if we claim to be a Christian. You know, we cannot go proclaiming the gospel while at the same time living in anger, unforgiveness, lacking in peace, bitterness. You can make a long list. And in order to be effective witness, we have to be different to the world. We have to stand out as different. We should be different. Our character, our conduct should stand out. That peace of God should be evident within us. Again, I turn to another um, well-known scripture this morning in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7, it says there, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds <clears throat> in Christ Jesus. You can also reflect on, again, another scripture we all know, 2 Timothy verse 1, verse 7, where God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. So we, we need to, um, there needs to be evidence that, um, you know, we can't be hypocritical and go out and serve the Lord and try and um, talk about peace and salvation to others. I spoke about the upward, we spoke about the inward, then there's those all around us. It's making peace with man. So we're not to be inactive and just to sit when we're born again and we receive all these wonderful blessings and we work through these wonderful beatitudes, one of which is peace and those things are in our life. But we're called to preach the gospel to a lost and a dying world. And the scripture says we've been reconciled and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It even describes us as Jesus' ambassadors. And we read in 2 Corinthians 8, 18 to 20, chapter 5, 18 to 20, 
and all things are of God who had reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and had given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and had committed us unto us the word of reconciliation now that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God it's amazing to think that um, he made the first move, not us. And you've done it all in advance. Romans chapter 12 has a lot to say about our witness to others and those around us. In verse 14 to 19, it sets a high standard. It says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as light in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath what is written. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. If possible, live peaceably with all men. Of course, it's not always possible. Some people will reject our advances and, and our efforts. But we have to try. And having tried, we can have a clear conscience that we've done what is right before the Lord, and we can leave them to the Lord. Another aspect is peace. Peace in the church. It's a very, very sad thing to see conflict in the church. Sadly, today, it's um, all around us. And um, another sign of the times. You know, the brothers and sisters fall out among each other. This peace is very, very important to the Lord. In fact, he issued a new commandment on the matter. And he said in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this all men shall know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love for one another. That's not optional. That's mandatory. It's a commandment. You know, when there's fighting and misconduct in the church, we make ourselves targets for the unbeliever to say that the church is full of hypocrites. I always think back to Pastor Bill Randalls, who's gone to be with the Lord. That was one of his favorite phrases when people would say to him, the church is full of hypocrites. And he would say, well, there's room for one more. But, uh, and there's always going to be differences of opinion among believers. But they should be handled biblically. And if I ask around this morning, there's different flavors and different thoughts on various topics that are not essential to salvation. And we should never belittle someone else's understanding or make fun of it or make jest of it. You know, that's not right. All that does is bring division. You know, we go back to Philippians 4, which you looked at earlier, earlier on. We see there's two ladies mentioned in the beginning of that chapter, Eudias and Sintish. And Paul is appealing to these two ladies to be of the same mind because obviously there was an argument or a dispute going on. And he says, these were fellow laborers in the gospel whose names were in the book of life. 
So the unity of Christ, it's a very important matter and it must be preserved. Your brother and your sister here this morning who loves the Lord, his book, his name is in the book of life just as yours is and uh, you should cherish him. I should cherish him. We should all take note that um, you know, we're, we're not to have dissensions and, and um, arguments and if, if something arises, it needs to be handled biblically. Psalm 133, of course, is a wonderful psalm on the topic of unity. It says there, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. With all of the Beatitudes we've covered today, they all finish with a wonderful promise. And the promise here is that they shall be called the children of God, or in some uh, versions, the sons of God. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to be in the family of God. It's a wonderful thing to be called a sister or a brother in the Lord. And, um, you know, that Christian who is a peacemaker, he's going to have the joy and the privilege of bringing God's peace to others. And in doing so, he's going to be imitating his master, the Prince of Peace. And you may not be rewarded on earth for your efforts as a peacemaker, but you surely will be in heaven. And on, as I said, not everybody is going to receive kindly the message of the gospel or, or um, you know, the, the wonderful words about how we can have peace between God and man. But we do our part and the Lord does the rest. Amen. Just a conclusion and some closing thoughts. That the biblical peacemaker, the one we're emphasizing this morning, He's not just to keep the peace or broker or a truce. You know, there's many mediators, there's many diplomats in the world who can do that. But he brings the gospel of peace into a difficult situation. Now, I remember years ago, and you probably know the same sermon, uh, Pastor David Wilkerson, and he preached a sermon called The Reproach of the Solemn Assembly, I think it was, or The Solemn God. And uh, in it, he spoke about the importance of having the true gospel of peace. And I think at the time there was um, strife in Eastern Europe, I think in Bosnia, and there was internment camps and things that were in operation. And he said, and it always stuck at me, he says that the, the wealth and the prosperity gospel are some of the false gospels. You know, can you bring them into a place like that? Could you bring them into a place like Auschwitz or, or Belsen? I don't think you can. I don't think people, people will see it straight away for what it is. But the gospel of peace, the gospel of the kingdom, you certainly can. That's the gospel that brings peace. Oops. And David Wilkinson was a wonderful brother in the Lord and preached so many wonderful sermons. There's certainly costs to being a peacemaker. We're going to have to die more to ourselves. You're going to have to die to getting your own way, to winning arguments, to coming out on top. You're going to have to hold back on the right to strike back. You might have to suffer some personal indignation. 
might even have to say sorry and ask for forgiveness. And we couldn't talk about peace without mentioning who the greatest peacemaker was and is, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only mediator between man and God. And he died on the cross overcoming sin and death and the powers of darkness that we once again could have peace with God, that those hostilities would cessate. And I want to finish just with a true story, which I didn't know about until I, I read about it yesterday, actually. But um, there was a gentleman in the fourth century, and um, his name was Telemachus, and he was a Christian. And it says in the account that he decided to go to Rome, that he put his possessions in a sack Sorry. And he set out for Rome. And when he arrived in the city, people were thronging in the streets. And he asked why all the excitement and was told that this was the day that the gladiators would be fighting and killing each other in the Colosseum. He actually went, he ran to the Colosseum, and he heard the gladiators saying, Hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. And he thought, This isn't right. He jumped over the railing and went down into the middle of the field, got between two gladiators, held up his hands and said, in the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd protested and began to shout, run him through, run him through. A gladiator came over and hit him in the stomach with the back of a sword. It sent him sprawling in the sand. He got up and ran back again and said, in the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd continued to chant, run him through. You know, there was a demonic element there to, to wanting to witness things like that, to see people being run through, hacked asunder. That's why we have to be careful what we watch too. And, uh, you know, to derive entertainment or pleasure out of that, or to derive entertainment out of some of these contests they have nowadays where people almost beat themselves to death, you know, it's wrong. One gladiator came over and plunged his sword through the little monk's stomach and he fell into the sand, which began to turn crimson with his blood. A hush came over the 80,000 people in the Colosseum. Soon a man stood and left, then another and more. And within minutes, all 80,000 had emptied out of the arena. This was the last known gladiatorial contest in the history of Rome. Telemachus was a peacemaker. He understood perhaps better than most of us that Jesus had called his people to be a peacemaking people. Jesus spoke this beatitude to that extent, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Amen. Praise the Lord.